You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Forty years of this is Emeritus Rex with Rabbi Louvain Yoshua Pupko. And I am speaking to you, Rabbi Pupko, from the headquarters of the Yeshiva of Newark, the IDT building itself. So are you in the Philip Roth building? The Philip Roth building actually is probably across the street. That is where the Newark Library, oh. that Philip Roth spent so many hours. I thought uh, he endowed the yeshiva. He didn't endow the yeshiva. Um, there is a yes. We actually have a chair called the Portnoy chair. <laughs> it, is, um, it actually is my mother's maiden name. Oh and, yeah. Oh, no. Yes, and the Portnoy chair is all about uh, helping adolescents work out their their, their difficulties, their their de- de- desires to a point that they can be. They're difficult. Right? The shamer, let's say to be shamer midas how you say. Okay, there you go. And uh, <laughs> and every month there is pastrami. There are there are pastrami sandwiches served as well. As, and should, as well, there should be. Yes, yes. All right, let's move on from Philip Roth. Yes. <laughs> you know, you open up the rabbit hole and um, <laughs> you got to expect me to, to jump in. You see, you've never had a, you know, I, I feel like um, Robin Williams in, in Aladdin. You've never had a friend. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what do you want to talk about today? Well, what else can we talk about? You, you, you left us high and dry last week. Yes. And in the time that you left the side dry, as you were flying over the, the Midwestern skies. The Buckeye State. I was in the Buckeye State. Yes. Landing in. Remember how, remember when Cleveland used to be like the ultimate punchline? Like the it's ultimate. It's a fine town, a beautiful Jewish community. Yes, yes. It used to be Cleveland was like the ultimate punchline city. Yes. Right? It was called the armpit of America or something. Yes, yes. The mistake by the lake. Mistake of the lake. Yes. Mistake by the lake. I remember, and again, you probably remember this joke by, I think, one of the most underappreciated African-American performers, Godfrey Cambridge. You oh, yeah. Cambridge? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I haven't heard so, that name. So, so Godfrey Cambridge, you know, did a bit in the 60s, and you could probably still find it, where, you know, he talks, you know, Godfrey Cambridge talks to God about why the, 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 the physical differences between African-Americans and others. And when God answers him, uh, and, and, and basically, God answers him talking about how uh, the biological uh, superiority in terms of living in the African plain and, 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 and the superior strength, et cetera, to be able to, to, to hunt and to take everything down. And the last question that Godfrey says is, but God, what am I doing in Cleveland? <laughs> Always stuck with me. God, what am I doing in Cleveland? And then, and, and, and lo and behold, uh, this, I was in Cleveland, yes, for my grandson's graduation. Yes, I had that. Was, was so while you were as you while you were away, shepping, shepping Nachas, yes. uh, the the wheels of the politics were turning in Eretz Yisrael, and the right. amazing coalition, as we were talking about, was stitched together. You you didn't know if it was going to happen, and yet right. indeed it did. And Reuven, I saw the image of Rabbi uh, Rabbi. <laughs> he he looked like a rabbi. He is an anical of a Rebbe Shemeshbacha, Ruvain Rivlin. I know he comes from the Rivlins, the students of... Yeah, yeah. All right, listen, listen, the new government... So anyway, Rivlin basically was saying, yes, here it is, the new government. So what do you have to say about this? All right, so you have 13 parties in Israel's Knesset, eight of whom have formed a government. The only five parties left out of the coalition are obviously we could. The three religious parties, the religious Zionists, Shas, 
and Aguda are out, as is the joint list, the Arab party. Every other party's in. You have Yair Lapid as the largest party there. You have uh, the blue and white under Benny Gantz is there. You have Naftali Bennett, seven seats of Yamina, but really only six because one defected. You have Yisrael Beitenu and, and Labor, each with seven. You have um, uh, you have Merits and uh, you, have, you have Merits and Ram, uh, the Arab Party, both with six, and you have the Arab Party. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Merits and Gidon Sar. I'm sorry, New Hope and Merits at six, and the Arab Party at four, adding up to 61 seats. You, you, you know, you continue to amaze me because I want to tell our listeners that Rabbi Pipko did not do this with a chart in front of him. No. The numbers came out of his head. He was able to hold Cheshpin, the magic number of 61. Yes. 61. So now you have, so you have the 61 seats. Now, here's the thing. So the Haredim are left out. They're obviously not happy. Uh, it certainly diminishes their ability to fund their institutions and enact legislation and protect uh, the legislation that has already been passed. So they're obviously upset. Uh, the government is bizarre in that you have uh, Naftali Bennett, who always postured himself as more right-wing than Bibi. You have a Victor Lieberman, who is certainly no leftist, and also at sometimes criticized Bibi from the right. You have Gidon Saar, who's a real Likudnik, right, together with Merits and the Arab Party. So you have uh, you have centrist parties. You people call them centrist. You have uh, Lapid and Gantz. So you have a very very strange uh, government uh, that is united by one thing and one thing only, which is the desire to get rid of Bibi. Um, you don't want to be kind and say it was the desire to uh, to progress as a country and not have to call elections and to yeah no I I don't no I, I okay I, I go along with that and I you know, I'm, I'm, I'm saying you know you know yeah. No, I'm not being cynical when I say it. I mean, they really do believe that they're able, they're going to be able to do things. The question is, given the ideological diversity of this coalition, to put it diplomatically, how long can this government survive? It means the good strategy going forward will be to continue to propose legislation, which demonstrate the internal contradictions of the new government and force that coalition to fracture over some of the, the, the legislation that the opposition would propose. But again, there are many things that can be done that don't necessarily fracture this coalition, whether it's an education or the budget or whatever else or electoral reform. There are things they could do that are not necessarily going to be determined by the ideological uh, divisions there. But I think, you know, it, it was sad to see the spectacle, the Haredim yelling at Bennett that he's not really Jewish and, and all of this. And finally, members of the Yagoda finally saying, you know, maybe it was a mistake. You know, to uh, to you know, not to get. I, I have to just put a plug in for. I know you don't listen to my show, but uh, Rabbi Bechoffer and I um, really thought it was it, it was it was quite ugly to to call, to smear Bennett as worse than a reformed Jew. I mean, that was just silly stuff. And, and 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 here's the thing: this had Bibi resigned from leadership of his party. He probably could have made a deal for immunity from prosecution. He could have resigned. And then you'd have a solid right-wing Karedi government, right-wing in terms of Bennett would have joined, Lieberman would have joined, you know, Saar would have joined. You would have had the religious Zionists there. You would have had the Haredi religious parties there, Shas and Aguda. You'd have a huge government, very powerful, solid, stable majority. Because no one was reluctant to join Likud when I see no one, no one of the natural allies was reluctant to join the good, but they were all refusing 
and ran on the platform of never talking to, uh, uh, of never, of never dealing with, with with Bibi because of a whole host of you know events in the past that have alienated Bennett from Bibi, Victor Lieberman from Bibi, you know Saar from Bibi. So it, it was about Bibi, not about Lee Kud, and, and, and the. So th- that in sense is, is, is tragic. Can I ask you something? Why, what's your take? And I'm not trying to downplay because you are, unlike you know someone who just picks up the Wall Street Journal, or, or or tries to read it once in a while, like myself. You have actually met some of these people. You go to Eric's stroll often. You're aware of things that are going on in the back room. But so maybe you can explain to me why is it that Lapid, who has many more seats, why is it that he seeds the uh, the prime the prime ministership or the premiership. To, well, to, first of all, he didn't surrender completely. He'll be prime minister in two years under the right. Court. But why does he go first? Why does because, Bennett go first? Because in order for the right wing parties to join in, meaning Lieberman and uh, and Gidon Saar, you needed that uh, front of the party being led by Bennett. He was the linchpin to get all the groups together. It's a very strange, you know, it's a very strange reality. But maybe, in other words, the idea is just to spell it out. The people who are afraid that there's going to be too many concessions to the right. Palestinians or uh, a, whatever a, changes in whatever. So you, you need security. You needed someone who who, who uh, had the same hawkish. Right. I, I hate using also, the word. Here's the other point. Yeah. BB hurt himself several ways here. Number one, before the election, he insisted basically that the religious Zionists embraced the more right-wing party led by Smotrich, you know, a, a, a disciple of Kahana, Abed Gvir and these guys, Smotrich, you know, uh, and, and because of that, forced Smotrich to take Ben Gvir. And, and, and because of that, what happened? Bibi needed the Arab party. Bibi is the one who broke precedent. Bibi's the one who invited the Arab party in. But as soon as he did that, he lost the extreme right. So, but again, the extreme right only said no because Bibi had forced the right, the religious Zionists, to uh, embrace the more extreme element. So he hurt himself there. And once he legitimized bringing the Arab party into government, how can you criticize Bennett for doing what Bibi wanted to do? So Bennett was had the hechsher to embrace Ram, the Arab party, because Bibi had reached out to them and would have taken Ram it would have succeeded with Ram had it not been for the right-wing party that BB insisted on creating before the election to avoid losing uh, votes for not crossing the threshold. So BB made some tactical errors here. Um, and again, uh, you know, he's been prime minister for 12 years. Had, you know, had he, you know, there were those who will argue that had he put country ahead of you know, his own fate, he would have, in fact, uh, stepped aside and there'd be a broad-based center right right wing government uh, together with the religious parties that would have been enormously uh, uh, stable and uh, leaving out only merits uh, labor and the two arab parties and it would have been enormously stable but so, uh, so, so you're saying not, that you're saying that uh, the instability that bb actually is promising will happen right he has said that he isn't going uh, quietly into the dark he no. says he is going to, for the sake of Eretz Yisrael, from Medina Yisrael, he is going to uh, shake things up enough to make sure that this falls. Listen, whatever his motivations, he's certainly going to try to bring the government down. Uh, The government may not last more than than six months, if that. So there'll be another election, which is, of course, not a a positive development. But let's remember something. I I want to remind everybody about a couple of things. You know, you you look at it objectively. You say, you know, Bibi should have won in a landslide. 
right? You should have won on a landslide. Uh, Israel led the world on COVID. Israel under BB has diplomatic relations with countries no one imagined possible, right? The Abraham Accords, you have, uh, you know, he's navigated the Iran situation very well. There hasn't been a full-blown war under his rule. Nothing. He's doing great. The economy is, has doubled in the 12 years that he's prime minister. Fantastic record. So why did he lose? Why, I shouldn't say lose, but why didn't he have enough votes to form a coalition? And the reason is because for many Israelis, the primary memory of COVID is not the success, but the lockdowns that were universally applied to all of Israel, even though the hotspots were only in certain places, the Arab communities and the Haredi communities. And because Bibi had the hand of the Haredi parties around his neck, he was not able to close down the Haredi areas without closing down the whole country because the Haredim insisted they will not be stigmatized in that way. So because of the stranglehold of the Haredim over Bibi, Bibi lost whatever popularity he should have had over COVID. He lost because the memory of it was Bibi is a puppet of the Haredi parties. He couldn't do what he should have done during COVID with selective lockdowns like in every country. He had to do universal lockdowns. Only Achverak because of the Haredim. That's what many Israelis remember from COVID. So, which which is probably you know uh, uh, stoking the embers of Haredi hatred, which uh, exists in Eretz Yisrael in a large percent, a large amount. Anyway, it didn't take much again to 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 accept this view of how bad. Yeah, but I also want to be careful here. There is hatred for Haredi political parties. There is not hatred for Haredis. And there's not a hatred for, for Judaism. There's a hatred for political for, for the political influence. That's where you see the hatred. Yeah, Most Israelis understand the difference and appreciate the difference. Uh, the era that every Amalgam wants to kill a Talmud Chacham is, is over. That's not true. It is not true anymore. Uh, Israelis have enormous respect for Judaism. And when an Israeli calls himself secular, then you ask him what he does on Yom Kippur. You know he's not using the word secular in the way we use it in North America. He's using it as a political statement to express his animosity towards Haredi political parties. You know, you know, I, you know, you know listen, Rabbi, we are very good friends, and I think uh, very highly of what you're saying. But I have to say that you're being extremely kind. We know, you know, human beings are a very complex being. What do I hate about you? Do I hate you? Do I hate what you stand for? Do I hate what you're doing? But I don't want to kill you. And especially in Eretz Yisrael, where there's this sense of we need to save Jewish lives no matter what. But then it's, it's crusted over by anger and animosity. So I agree with you. They don't hate the same way the Palestinians hate us. It's not that type of hate. But the hatred of Haredi lifestyle the idea that the Haredi lifestyle uh, uh, is, is generates this parasitic uh, continuance on the society. The fact that the Haredim don't serve in the army, uh, the fact that they are being given these stipends. So even though the personal Haredi they meet on the street, they don't necessarily have horns out and ready to stab them. There definitely is more than just the parties. There is something... That there is that 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 the average Chiloni Israeli, it's an anathema to him. Much of the Haredi ideology. I, I, again, I, here's what I believe. I don't. If you look at religious practices, 
there's two issues here. What does the word chiloni mean? And the issue, other issue is more, you know, maybe more important is how do they actually feel about ultra-Orthodox Jews? In terms of religious practice, what you and I would call a secular Jew in New York is not a chiloni in Israel. The chiloni in Israel keeps milk and meat separate. The chiloni in Israel fasts on Yom Kippur. The chiloni in Israel has an Orthodox rabbi at his wedding and at his funeral. Generally speaking, again, it's probably that hardcore crazy. So I'm talking about the people who identify as Chiloni, it's more of a political statement than a statement of personal religious practice. That's all I wanted to say. The second thing is, listen, if I'm the mother, if I'm a, if I'm a Jewish mother living in Kiryat God, whose son is, you know, in southern Lebanon or Gaza during the times of conflict, and I walk by a pizza store on a Monday afternoon, and I see two Haredi kids the same age as my son, you know, drinking diet, drinking Coca-Cola and eating pizza, of course, it's going to drive me to distraction, okay? And I'm going to go nuts. But however, if you hear Israelis talk about Haredi, you hear enormous respect for the, uh, the Gemilas Chassadim, for the kindness, for the support, for the staka, enormous respect for all the institutions the Haredim have set up that help all Israelis, right, and the handicapped, the poor, there is an enormous respect. And I, and, and, and I also firmly believe that the animosity that you, you, you accurately described is an animosity. In other words, imagine a world where there weren't Haredi parties, where there weren't any religious parties. So you say that to a Haredi, oh, it means, uh, you know, uh, you know uh, no controls on marriages, conversions, kashras, and all that else. No, it would force Likud and all these political parties to compete for Haredi votes and that which the Haredim think they can get exclusively by wielding direct political power through parties in the Knesset and the horse trading to build coalitions, they would have in the normal democratic process because they represent a large voting bloc, right? You'd have people competing for their votes by making promises to them the way they do to every constituent group. And you wouldn't and you wouldn't tarnish the name of Torah by turning rabbis into government bureaucrats. Because that's what they've done. The first exposure the non-religious Israeli has to, to a rabbi is they want to get married, and they go to some kid in the office to prove they went to mikveh. It's demeaning and horrible and insulting, and, it's, and you can't trust the government. Who likes a government bureaucrat? Do you ever hear someone walk out of a DMV and say, hey, those government bureaucrats are great. They're such kind and brilliant nice and efficient. No one has ever said that in the history of Western civilization. And yet, by turning rabbis and religious figures into government bureaucrats, which is what the Rabbanut and these political parties do, they have brought down... Remember something. This is something we didn't learn from Gullis. The most religious country in the Western world is the United States of America, which never had a Church of America. Separation of church and state enhances the prestige of religion because it is not tarnished with temporal political power. And nobody likes a politician. No one likes a bureaucrat. Come, come to my part of the world, Quebec, where the Catholic Church was powerful. One day the churches were full. The next day in the middle of the 60s, they were all empty because the Catholic Church allowed itself to become a gover- almost a gov- semi-governmental uh, uh, you know, authority and power. Uh, with, with status and uh, you know control over people's lives, that's not. You want a religious place? You have separation of church and state. That's yeah, what. That's what. Well, the, that's the new world. Well, this is a you know look. This is a great what if of what could have been. 
whether the idea that this will actually take place, that the uh, the religious parties will decide to do as you say to basically no that won't happen though no. that's not going to happen <laughs> no. especially since you know you have psalkim from Chacham Avadia, you have psalkim even from going back to the Chazonish. Again, I don't I didn't see the Lashonas. I wasn't living there during that time. But you definitely have uh, there's enough that this is a monolithic thing that isn't going to change. And therefore whether it's again I Chasvisholm for me to speak ra about Klal Yisrael. All I was saying, Rabbi, was that that the the what you were talking about was Bibi's tarnished record, despite the fact that there was seemingly on an objective scale he had done much more. You, the reason why no one could look at it with objective eyes was because of the the sense of animosity, frustration, whatever you want to call it. And 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 it's 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 a it's a I guess a chil Hashem really. We, we, well, listen, we, I want to tell you something. It's not the first time Haredi Jews in Israel made political mistakes. In 1992, we had a government led by Yitzhak Shamir that fell and brought it to power labor, which made an Oslo deal, which created so much pain. Almost, you'd have to call them irreversible mistakes were made because of Oslo. Abbas is sitting there, Hamas is sitting in Gaza, all because of Oslo, and the terrorism, the intifada, all of that. Why did that happen? Why did the government fall? It fell for two reasons. Number one, right-wing parties were mad at Yitzhak Shamir because he had gone to Madrid under George Bush I, right? And that was a terrible sellout, even though the PLO weren't, and the Palestinians weren't really there. And the other reason was because Haredim from New York made an issue over Mihu Yehudi, and the religious parties pulled out. And then he lost the election because the right wing, he was so mad about certain things Shamir had done that they had ran three parties, Levenger, Katz, and Gula Cohen, that never crossed the threshold and lost right wing votes. So because of right wing division, the Haredi, you know, I don't understand the whole Yehudi. I mean, what, for the first time in 1900 years, we need a government to artificially support our religious pursuits? For 1900 years, we built our own shuls, we built our own yeshivas, managed our own marriages in Gairus without artificial support from a secular government. All of a sudden, now we need it in Israel? I mean, it's, it's insane, completely insane. Okay, I mean, it, look, I, I, again, let me push back a little bit from a rabbinical perspective. I'm not sure if I know exactly what your point is, but I think what you're questioning is, instead of the government determining who gets Israeli citizenship and who therefore is automatically accepted in Israel based on halacha, let, let citizenship be totally disconnected from who you marry, et cetera, right? That's the, that's the, no, I, I don't want to talk about citizenship because that's much more complicated. I'm talking about marriage, divorce, and conversion. Okay, so what you're, I'm meaning is that let, in other words, okay, if they so manage their affairs like every other Jewish community in the world, where you decide where you go, other rabbis decide if they accept it or reject it. You don't need a government stamp of approval. Okay, so, uh, so let, me put, when, let me let me think. I tell you what I think the answer is. Now I know what your point is. I think the answer is, and I think you you're probably aware of it yourself. But for people who are hearing your your passion and your question and saying hmm, he must be right, the difference between yeah, okay, which you know you you, you okay. bank on that a lot, and I and I appreciate it. You, you deserve to bank on it because your your, your points are are solid most times. And therefore, you know, we can let you get away with, you know, riding a, 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 a wave of passion. But here's the point. Unlike uh, even a, a big city like New York, where people are coming from all over, the, the, what, what, what the Rabbanim were worried about 
was that when you have Eretz Yisro, which is going to be a kibbutz Goliath from everywhere, the, the, it's going to be much more difficult to determine who is actually a, 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 a not a married woman. They were really worried about Geirus, Mamzerus, and it, there was a, a pachat of halacha of being marbim mamzerim Yisrael, which again, it, it, was, it, was, it was almost like, are we going to allow a, a pollution of, the, a, a, of Klau Yisrael to occur? Nobody hates the mamzer, but they realize the mamzer carries this sort of um, uh, radioactive uh, anti-halachic aspect. Now, no, no, I understand. All I'm saying is... So, so, wait a second. so without having it, you know, having an official policing by the people who are in, in charge, then there's going to be so many cracks in the system that it's okay. going to be... No, I, the instinct... Here, here's the, here's the point. What is inconceivable for many Haredim is the idea that you have the power to do something, but you don't use it. And they have the power to enforce you know, a uniform understanding of halacha as it relates to gayrus and marriage and divorce and whatever. And the fact, they, the idea that you would say, if you say that to them, well, you have the power to do it because you're part of the governing coalition. You have the power to take this rabbi off the list because you disagree with his approach to certain things, right? And they wouldn't use that power. That would, their brains would explode. They can't imagine having power or not using it. And I'm just saying that every use of governmental authority is not well-founded. And 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 and, 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 and can sometimes be counterproductive. It, it so, definitely creates a, an emotional um, uh, discord and difficulty. And even though you might win that battle, that you didn't, you weren't machsher that mamzer biyisrael, but you lose the big war of is the society respecting halacha in the big picture. I think that's what you're saying. I would also suggest that. And this is in a truer than maybe in the old days than it is today, but in the years when Mizrahi, when the National Religious Party, was the religious party in government, what did they accomplish? In other words, did they, did they get up in Knesset and speak for the values of Torah, for the values of Chesed? Did they try to influence the educational system of Israel so that Tanakh would be taught in a way more in sync, if not perfectly in sync, more in sync with traditional life? Did they train teachers who were Dati to teach in the public schools in Israel? Because what did they accomplish? Everyone was there, all the Haredi parties, in the religious parties, act like a milk lobby. Narrow interests. I want this, give me this. I want this for my yeshivas, I want this. I want graphic exemption, I want this. I, I want this recognized as being, you know, as being the correct way. I want this rabbi recognized, I want that rabbi. Instead of thinking in the narrow way, imagine a world where, yes, you have religious parties, but instead of speaking as an interest group to serve their constituents, if they saw themselves as representing the cause, not of their constituents, but the cause of, of, of the Jewish people and the cause of, of, of Torah in the broader sense, of trying to influence society in a positive way, of creating role models that would be uh, you know, inspiring for the typical Israeli, appreciating that in every Jew, I, mean, I know what my son does in Israel. My son, you know, r- runs something in, in, in Nofe Prat. It's, he's basically running a yeshiva for secular Israelis. They take off, it's, it's a Mechina program. They took off a year, sometimes two years, and he has them studying Gemara, right? Men and women together, and they're learning. And these are kids who would never were exposed to anything Jewish, 
but they spend two years in intensive study and a real deep appreciation. They come walk out of, of Jewish life. And I'm not telling you everyone becomes from, I'm not telling you that, but they walk away understanding that, you know, the word Gemara isn't a joke. That the word Halacha isn't something to be parodied. It's something real and something beautiful and something that has sustained us. And instead of thinking about their narrow interests, they would have thought about having an impact on Israel's social service programs, on the educational thing, to think about uplifting the entire country. And if you're going to put yourself in the position where you're now the rabbis, not of your own kehillah, but the rabbis of the state of Israel, which is what religious parties become, maybe that should incline you to take positions on certain matters that aren't just with your which would incline you to embrace you know the coolest that we all know exist on many issues that, 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 that are part of the debate and, and and represent the highest aspirations of Kalei Yisrael and not narrow constituent interests. That's all. I think too many Haredim are still in Gullis. By that I mean is their, their identity was so wrapped up in living in opposition to the non-Jewish world through, through, through centuries and identity. And now that there are no Gentiles around, the oppositional identity is to, is to non-religious Jews. You don't need an opposition. There's a little bit of, again, Rabbi, look, I, I agree with you, but there's a little bit of a conflation here. And I think the conflation is, you started off talking about Mizrahi. You talked about Mizrahi not losing its focus. Right, even Mizrahi didn't. Right, but, but if you... I don't know much about uh, the present day Mafdal or whatever Mafdal was, but I've spent a long time uh, studying uh, the life and writings of the founder of Mizrahi, Ravrinus. And uh, if you look at Ravrinus's voluminous forum, which most people don't look at anymore because um, they are long-winded and it's, it's, they are difficult to get to. It's a type of Druish that no longer sells. But if you look at Rhinus and you look at what he was trying to do, and you can read the beautiful essay about him in the Sri Day Aish, in the Chelek Bays of the Sri Day Aish, about what Rhinus is, the tragedy of what Rhinus is life, and how he was trying to create a, a uh, and he pushed so much for um, an inclusion, and he wanted really people like the Chafetz Chaim and others to join him. And, and I think had there been, um, the, the, the rest of Klal Yisrael, <laughs> let's say the people who were part of Chovev who didn't want Mizrahi, or people like Rav Chaim Brisker and others who really felt or the, uh, that, 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 that Rav Reines was, 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 was extremely in the wrong. But had there been a greater contribution from these wonderful minds and hearts, then I think you would have had a much more unified sense, a glorious sense yeah. of what was going on. I think Mizrahi started as a as, as a movement that was considered maverick and was and was and was labeled heretical and was considered the worst type of of of, of apicorses and um, making deals with the devil. And I think because of that, this has an effect on you. First of all, what people say about you, continue to say about you, turns you into uh, a street fighter. The second thing is, I think what you are talking about, the great neshama of what, of, of what religious Judaism should be, you, need the, you needed those numbers. You needed those numbers 
of of, of Abbas Yisrael of Rav Kook. The Abbas Yisrael and Rav Kook was against, uh, as we know, although the Mizrahi made him their voodoo doll, their getchka, he was not happy with many things the Mizrahi was involved in. So I think that it, it really goes back. I think if you take some of those original statements that Rav Reines was making, um, I, I think that if those would, would have been heeded, I think you would have had uh, a, a very different uh, Haredi, it wouldn't be Haredi, it would be what you're saying, a religious uh, spirit that would be a guide. Now, now, however, just let me just say one last point. Rhinus felt that to just be the, the old oracle sage advisor on the side was not going to work. And therefore, he felt there needed to be involvement in the government. There needed to be a sense that we would have a, a play that active role. But I, I want to contradict myself for a minute. I mentioned before that I don't think the, the animosity towards Haredim is as bad as, as, as some think. It's, but it is, does exist, obviously. It does exist to a certain extent. I, th- I just think it's more limited than other people say, but there is animosity. But I would also, I also wonder the following. Why doesn't that phenomenon and things, you know, like it, give the Haredi leadership in Israel pause? What I mean by that is the country where they have the most power, the country where it's easiest to be a religious Jew, where the calendar of your of your country is the calendar of the Jewish people, where the knowledge of Hebrew <laughs> and therefore access to Jewish texts is universal, where so much of the country is in sync with what you would want, that it is there in that very place in the world where the animosity towards religion is most intense. In other words, you can't, you know, however good or bad, you know, we can debate the animosity is certainly worse in Israel than it is in Cleveland, Ohio. And, um, and, and yet it doesn't give them pause. In other words, if you're doing something and it, it engenders that much Ava between Jews, why doesn't it give anybody pause? And the reason it doesn't is because they actually don't believe they are responsible to the Jewish people. The leaders of the Haredi party think they're, they are responsible for their own community. And, and that's the problem. Whereas if you really care about, care about Klai Yisrael, the pathology which you describe, and I can you know disagree with how intense that pathology is, but it's certainly present. Why doesn't that give them pause? In other words, here we have a place where it's the easiest of the place in the world to make other Jews from or more sensitive to Jewish life and religious life. It's the easiest place. You don't have to tell a guy to take off, off workshops. You don't have to teach a guy Aleph base. Right? You have everything going for you, everything going for you. Yet you have an audience which is resistant. You have to ask yourself why. If you really believe that there's Netzach Yisrael and, 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 and Yiddishkeit and potential in every Jew, why aren't they succeeding in Israel? And the reason is because of their behavior and the posture they take. And if they, it's the most conducive environment for Shabbos, kosher, and Torah. And yet it's the place we fail. And where animosity is most intense towards religion, it should give them pause. That's all I wonder. Well, I have to tell you that you know we lost uh, during COVID uh, a, a a very strident spokesman for this point, uh, the Novominsker Rebbe. Yeah. Novominsker Rebbe 
in, in his life, issued many, uh, I wouldn't call proclamations, but letters, and they were definitely pointed towards his, his uh, what would you say, his complementary figures in Israel, yes. and telling them, you've got to work on this. This is Geferlach. The, the, the Gedolim and Eretz are like the Novominsk and others, were not afraid of saying that this source, this, 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 this open wound of, of, of the scab, which is not even scabbing over, needs to be addressed. And this is something that, that even though, as, as the Rav said, or Salvatric said, that it's clear from the, from the 1960s already that Eretz Yisrael is the Merkaz of Torah. There's no right. question about it. And, 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 and the Shilas will be from Eretz Yisrael, and Eretz Yisrael is, is in the Ascendance. But, but this is something that causes that Merkaz to limp uh, in, a, in a terrible way. And I think that the Gedolim, that we call Gedolim here in America, are aware of that. And I think, you know, even in Canada, or even here uh, in the Northeast, um, there isn't that sense. There is, look, you might have, a, you might have some, some neighborhoods in Rockland County uh, trying to stop the Haredim from taking over the school board. Or you might have uh, some, some, some... An some fight in Jackson. Fights over the Arab in Jackson. But it's, it, it, it's, it's nothing compared to what you have in Eretz Yisrael. And I think that's why it's incredible. You talk about the Golas mentality. I think in Golas, places like in Canada, New Jersey and New York, I, I think they've been doing a better job oh, in terms sure. of promoting you know, what it is. Well, the Golas mentality I referred to is just this oppositional identity where you have to have an enemy in order to think you're going to flourish. Which, 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 <laughs> which, I, which I think, you know, my, my good friend, Dr. Sam Juni, who discusses these things from Eretz Israel says that part of that is really the Israeli, you know, siege mentality in general, right? Okay. Right, and, and and it's very hard, as the Rambam says, not to be affected by the people around you. Right. So to to, to come saint-like and to be a, a Rav Cook type figure, or even a, what, what Rav Reinus was was, right. was sketching out, it's pretty hard to do that when from the cradle. You know, you're you're elbowing the other guy in order to to to, to get some sort of school. Right. Yeah. So it, it really. Well, yeah. These aren't simple questions. I mean, but all I'm saying is that we have opportunities in Israel for Torah that we don't have anywhere else that well, we haven't well, had in many years. I, I agree with you. Let me ask you something as we wind up here. And I know, yeah. you know, this is, you've, you know, Naftali Bennett. Now, I, I was on record, um, uh, and again, it's in the, our podcast, that, that having a person who is, keeps Shabbos, keeps kosher. Uh, keeps is is a really a chance. I I, I my, my son tells me that he that he, he went against something that he signed publicly and that he he was he he, he was he was machish himself. Look, let's start fresh. Don't you believe the political expediency that brought Bennett here? There's a chance here for the world to see a man who comes to meet Biden and he's wearing a yarmulke. He's mm-hmm. and, and and just like I'll, I'll compare this to Shai Agnon. Shai Agnon, of course, won the Nobel Prize. I think it was in 1966. Yeah, yeah, and, um, and I think that, uh, as you know, he had to go to Stockholm for, um, for receiving the prize. And the, uh, the queen, or whoever it was, was going to give him the prize on Shabbos. And, and, and he wore his yarmulke, and he walked in the street. And people were seeing that here is the Nobel Prize winner of literature who's not taking the limousine, they saw the limousine for the other uh, 
laureates. And here he was walking on Shabbos in the street. What an incredible uvda that was. Um, and even afterwards, when the reporters asked him, um, who are his literary influences? Who does he feel his great literary influences? So what was his answer? His answer was Rashi. <laughs> I'll tell you something else. I'll tell you, I didn't know that, actually. That's a beautiful thing. But I'll tell you something else he said in, that, in his Nobel Prize with, in the speech he gave. He was born you know, in Romania, and he said... Shatskis. He was actually born in Galicia. He's Galician. Born in a place called Bukac. It was Galicia. Anyway, he was born in... He was born in... He was born, right. It's in Galicia. But go ahead. Bukac. Oh, is that not, not Bukac, Buchac. Buchac, right. He was born in Buchac. Buchac. Okay. He was, he was born in some small place. <laughs> anyway. They don't, listen, they don't know any better in Cote St. Luke. You can say anything over there. <laughs> In, in, in his acceptance speech, he says, I was born in Jerusalem. They moved my cradle to Buchach. <laughs> and that's, I mean, that's how every Jew is supposed to feel or have supposed to feel. That's a beautiful thing. And, you know, and I think, I think you're right. Bennett wearing a keep is a nice thing. Yeah, it's a great thing. But I, and I think, in other words, politically, he's pretty much on the same page as Bibi. Personality and demeanor may be something that will be effective in dealing and engaging the Americans, especially in the Iran deal. We'll see what happens. And, and, and I guess, you know, because I'm trying to build on this positivity that you dreamed. And what I'm saying is, is that for the world, and again, I guess I'm beating a dead horse here. I think for the world to see you can be an Orthodox Jew and you aren't a, 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 a flaming uh, fanatic, and you can actually meet with world leaders. Right. I think this is something that it, it, it will create a normalcy that we desperately need. Yeah. And I think that that is something that you know, I'm hoping for. But again, if, if BB gets his way, it's, it probably won't happen. What's, right. your, what's your prognostication? What's your prediction? Do you think, you know, I mean, as we're talking here, there's already uh, Hamas's you you explain. I don't know. Honestly, I don't, I don't know. I, I I really don't know. I mean, you haven't checked your news feed, but I don't know. I don't know do, do you? Is your prognostication? I don't. I don't. I think the ceasefire will hold. That's my first gut instinct. We'll see what happens. All right, my friend. All, All right, we'll catch you. Any any more trips south of the border? I'll um, let you know. Right. You'll, you'll let me know because I'll meet you. I'll meet you halfway on the Ohio term. All right. Next time. Okay. I'll see you. Take care. All right. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.